The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. Hey everybody, this is UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today is UCI Dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Michael Stamos. Dr. Stamos has been at UCI since 2002 and was just this month, September 2021, reappointed to his second five-year term as Dean. So zot, 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 a big congratulations are in order. Welcome, Dean Stamos. How are you today? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks for that uh, that comment. You're, you're very welcome. Well, we want to learn all about you and the School of Medicine. So why don't we just start off with the really, really big burning question on everybody's mind. Are you related to the Hollywood actor John Stamos? <laughs> yeah, well, I've <clears throat> um, getting that question for, believe it or not, for uh, uh about 40 years. Well, shoot, I thought I was, you know, uh, I thought I had a breaking question here that you had never heard before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and my wife is, was kind of tired of getting the question, are you married to John Stamos? And she said, would I be driving this car, you know? <laughs> but uh, no, he's a nice guy. I actually got a chance to meet him many years ago. Oh, uh, there right. Accompanying my wife, who used to be the medical director at the Motion Picture TV Fund Clinic in West LA. They had a gala event and he was the guest at the uh-huh. event, and he was very gracious. And we compared notes, and we thought we must have some common roots back in Greece because that's where we're both from. Oh. We, we could make the connection, but the but the name is uh, is uncommon uh, oh. even, even among the Greeks. So, oh, and very interesting, very good. Well, hey, why don't we just start with where did you grow up, and what did you like to do with, when you were a kid? Yeah, I grew up in Miami, Florida. When Miami was a little bit of a different town than it is now. And I like to do everything outdoors. And I like, to, I like to take things apart and put them back together again. Not always successful in the latter, but always successful in taking them apart. So, you know, any old radio, any old, you know, appliance in the house, I would just go in there and just start taking it apart. And my dad was a very hands-on, fix-it kind of guy. He was a high school teacher. You know, we did all of our own automobile repairs and our own home maintenance. And so I learned early on from him all of those skills. And I think, quite frankly, that's part of what stimulated me to go into surgery. Yeah, yeah. Were you always kind of drawn to the medical part? Because it sounds like maybe engineering might have been a, a first thought. No, well, my dad, I didn't mention he was a biology teacher. So that, oh. that didn't probably uh, hurt in terms of the influence. But no, my sister, 
uh, suffered from pretty bad asthma, my older sister, a year older, mm. uh, when she was a kid. And it really just, uh, you know, I, I just hated that. And so at the age of six, I declared I was going to be a doctor and cure asthma. Well, I didn't exactly do that, but I did become a doctor. And I, I really never wavered, which is, I guess, unusual, but that's just how yeah. I was. So, Yeah, yeah. So uh, where'd you go for your undergrad? I went to uh, undergrad and med school at the same place, the Case oh. Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Quite a culture shock and weather shock from Miami, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, but enjoyed the, the, the seven plus years there, except for mm-hmm. the winters. Gotcha. And were you pre-med at that point or? So I was pre-med. I was in a, uh, I was actually in a special program that they have still to this day at Case Western, which was basically accepted to medical school out of high school. So it was a combined, it wasn't a combined program, but it was a, a, you know, a four year, if you would, pre-med curriculum. I actually majored in psychology and minored Mm -hmm. in anthropology and then, you know, went straight from there to their medical school without the usual to do of application and, and such. Gotcha. Boy, I mean, that's kind of a little bit of pressure. I mean, I don't know. Did you ever feel like that pressure? Was there ever any question that you were going into the right thing? Never, never any question. And actually, that greatly relieved the pressure. I felt very little pressure during undergrad because I had that sort of, you know, guarantee, if you would. Mm -hmm. And when did you start to, when you get into a medical school, are you starting to think about specializing or do you go through your residency first? Now you think about it in medical school for sure. And, and my first two years of medical school were, I'd say ro- they were rocky, not in the sense of my performance. My performance was, was fine. It wasn't great. Uh, but I was really, that was when I first started questioning whether I was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I think medical students of today uh, can reflect on the fact that back then it was all passive learning. And it was a lot of lectures by a lot of basic scientists who really had passion for what they were doing, but medical students didn't always have passion for Krebs cycle and, and other elements of importance to learn. And I just didn't, I didn't strike a passion to me. But then when I started my third year, which is where you get into the clinical clerkships, where you start working in the hospital and seeing patients, mm-hmm. it just was like a light switch went on, boom. And mm-hmm. that's where I really uh, w- became very passionate. I liked every specialty, to be honest with you, but yep. I was clearly drawn to, to surgery. And that, that started for sure, during the third year of medical school. Gotcha. And then you ended up specializing, is it colorectal surgery? Is that it? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, I did. You know, that was sort of an interesting pathway. And I had a great career in that specialty and had a lot of chances to exert some leadership and influence even. But I was a resident in Miami where I did my residency at Jackson Memorial Hospital, which if anybody who knows it, it's a very big complex. Uh, 1400 bed uh, safety net hospital right across the street from a very large VA hospital where we also worked. And back then we didn't have work hour restrictions. So we worked quite hard, but that was a very special time in my life that I look back at very favorably, despite, you know, some very long, long days and long weeks. It's hard to call it a long day when it's more than 24 hours. Right. But uh, (laughs) at any rate, and during that time when I was a, a senior resident, so I think it was my fourth year, maybe the end of my third year residency, it was a kind of place where, you were the front line, meaning you saw the patient first. It wasn't, these were not mostly private patients who came in and saw your faculty and then you became involved with their care. You were on the front line, you saw the patient first, and then you would go if you wouldn't find a faculty to help you take care of the patient. Very different model than, than we have today, uh, certainly very different than UCI probably has ever been, but great for training and for developing independence. And, and I found two patients that year fairly shortly together 
that I didn't know what to do with. They were complex colorectal problems that I wouldn't consider complex today, but back then I did. And I couldn't find a single faculty out of our hundreds of faculty who could help me. So I went to my chair of surgery, Dr. Robert Zeppa, since deceased, but just a a great, great guy, uh, like a second father to me. And I told him my dilemma. And he, you know, of course, got on the phone and made a phone call to a, a surgeon in Miami named Manny Carbonell. He was a colorectal surgeon, and we didn't have any on our faculty at that time in Miami, which wasn't unusual back in the 1980s. And Manny was so gracious. He came over and he talked to me and he met the patients and he helped me take care of them. And remember, this is a guy who was in private practice who was doing this as a volunteer. And then he said to me, you know, there's a colorectal conference in Minnesota in two months. Would you like to go? I happened to be able to get the time off. And I went, it was like a three-day conference. And he was so generous and gracious. Yeah. He, uh, he actually uh, helped fund me because I didn't have much money. Later in life, it's interesting, he actually worked alongside my mother, who became an office manager for one of his uh, partners or colleagues at the hospital. So kind of a, a full circle there, but just, you know, a great mentor and influence on me. And then three months later, the uh, chair of colorectal surgery at the Oxner Clinic, Byron Gathright, happened to be visiting as a professor to lecture. And I got a chance to hear him and meet him. And that sort of cemented my decision. But I really thought, Kevin, that I would go there to my fellowship, which I ended up doing at the Oxner Clinic, and learn a few things that I didn't already know. I was pretty confident, thought I knew most everything. And shortly after I arrived in New Orleans, about a week into it, I realized how much I didn't know. Mm. And had just a fantastic year and just learned so much to build on what I had learned in Miami. Yeah. In the time that you went to medical school, and maybe this is like this for all medical areas, I mean, is it just been tremendous progress in terms of the medicine that can be practiced and to help people? It's incredible progress. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, although, of course, what we do today looks similar to what I learned in 1980, you know, 85, uh, 81, 85 in medical school. It's also radically different. I mean, really, literally, all of the skills I learned uh, back then are very different now, and all the medications are different, and the the, the molecular approaches, and so it's uh, it's fun because you never stop learning. And if you stop mm. learning, you're going to be, you know, I hate to say it, you're going to be passe and outmoded, and you probably should uh, retire. Mm, gotcha. And you you mentioned the is it the Oshner Clinic in New Orleans? That's Was correct. that a, your fellowship after your residency? Is that yeah, right? I did a, a five-year residency in Miami, uh, and then and then moved to New Orleans for a one-year fellowship. Mm, okay, and then where'd you go after that? Well, you know, my wife at that time we were newlyweds, so we got married at the end of my residency. Went with me to New Orleans, and so we had a conversation about going back to Miami because I had a, a job offer there, and so did she. She's also a physician. And then uh, she said, you know, you chose New Orleans. And she was very happy to go there, of course. But she goes, I get to choose now. And I said, sure. <laughs> uh, and I knew that she wouldn't choose any place I didn't want to live. Uh, she goes, let's go to California. Uh-huh. And so that's really, that was the driving force uh, to move to California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you ended up at UCLA, is that right? That's right. We, we thought we'd be out here for, literally, we said for one or two years. Uh-huh. She was going to do a little extra training. And then we'd go back to Miami or back to Florida where our families were. But we just fell in love with California. And I worked at Harbor UCLA on the UCLA faculty for 11 years. Again, another safety net hospital, which is sort of a passion of mine, if you would, in terms of making sure that we serve everybody uh, who has medical needs. Is the UCI Medical Center, is that a safety net hospital? Absolutely. Gotcha. And is there more than one in Orange County? 
Nope. That's the only one in Orange County. LA no. County has a has a few, you know, LA County, USC, of course, and then all of you and Harbor UCLA and Martin Luther King Drew, you know, they actually have a dedicated county health system in LA County. Uh, we don't have that in Orange County. So we are the de facto uh, safety net hospital. We do much more than that, of course, but that is a very important component of what we do to take care of the patients who really are, are underserved. Gotcha. Is the Harbor UCLA Medical Center, is that their second, you know, is there a major complex in the in the Westwood UCLA area, or is this their main hospital? You're correct. Their, their main hospital is in Westwood. They okay. now have another hospital in Santa Monica that they acquired a dozen years or so ago. Mm. Uh, and then they have Olive View and Harbor UCLA are both uh, UCLA staffed hospitals, meaning that the faculty are all UCLA faculty. The residencies are actually sometimes separate, as in Harbor, and I think all of you was a combined residency with UCLA. Things may have changed a bit since I was there 20 years ago, but that's Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. what my understanding of the current state is. Got you. And what were your responsibilities? Were you you division chief? Do I understand that correctly when you were at UCLA? Yes, I was division chief at Harbor UCLA, and really just my responsibility was to uh, take care of patients, educate medical students and residents, embark on an academic or research career, and really, in my mind, not stated to me, but essentially uh, expected of me was to build the division, right? To build something because there was no division before I got there. So I was the division chief of of a division of one person, which was me at the beginning. (laughs) Excuse me just for a moment, doctor, while I update our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, if you joined us late, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today is UCI Dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Michael Stamos, who has just been reappointed as Dean of the Medical School for a second five-year term. And today we're learning all about him and the School of Medicine. And just in talking, we've come to 2002 when you decided to come to UCI. Was that a process? How did you end up coming to UCI? Well, the, the person who hired me at Harbor UCLA, Eric Wilson, left Harbor UCLA about a year after I got there to become chair at UCI. Mm. And, and so over the 11 years I was at Harbor, he had reached out a couple of times, but really in 02, or really in probably, it was probably 01 when he started, really reached out in earnest, assisted at that time by uh, Dean Tom Cesario and by uh, Ken Chang, our, our spectacular uh, chief of GI and head of our Digestive Health Institute. And so really it was sort of a three-pronged approach to recruit me. And I was just really blown away by what they were creating, what, what their vision was. And so it really became a, a fairly easy decision. I was not unhappy at Harbor. I was not looking for other jobs. I was quite content, doing quite well. But I just was really intrigued by, by really by Ken's vision, but supported by uh, Eric and by Tom uh, as the chair of surgery and the dean. Gotcha. When did the UCI Medical Center come into being? Because I grew up in the city of Orange, so I remember that hospital being there for a long, long time. But when did it actually officially become the UCI Medical Center? Well, I like to say that was in 2009 when we built our new hospital. But uh, but of course, it was long before that. Uh, you know, I, I think it was 68, but I actually am not certain. Kevin, I apologize for not knowing the exact date, but it was Late 60s, I believe, where uh, we, we basically purchased the hospital for, for, as I'm told, for one cent from the county. It was wow. formerly a county hospital. Wow. So it was a little bit probably under the radar for many years, right? Because, I mean, was there actually signage on the building at that time, UCI Medical Center? Well, I, I don't know about that time, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> certainly yeah. 
by the time I joined, it was signage. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But, you know, but it was, uh, you know, it was it was really an old facility back in 2002 when I joined. So that's why I, I did say that the new facility, which opened in 09, just had a dramatic effect on on our environment. And, and, and the growth and the changes since then have been even actually more dramatic. Yes. So you became the chair of the Department of Surgery. Are there major categories of surgery? Is it divided or how is that organized? It's a great question. So let me go back just a little bit. So back in um, 2015, uh, when I was chair of surgery, we had a chance to celebrate the 50th anniversary of UCI uh, School of Medicine, but really the Department of Surgery, because Department of Surgery started in 65. John Connolly or Jack, as we knew him, Jack Connolly was recruited down from Stanford to become the first chair. And Jack was still alive at that point in time and still a very active and vibrant member of the faculty, not operating, but still teaching and and supporting. And we had a chance to celebrate. And so we actually were able to invite all of the former chairs at the Department of Surgery. And what was interesting is we we went over the history. I created a little slide deck in the history of the Department of Surgery going back to 1965. And there are a number of specialties that have spun off of surgery and that have become their own departments now. So just to give you a few examples, anesthesiology was actually initially in the Department of Surgery. Head and neck surgery or otolaryngology was part of it. Neurosurgery was part of it. Orthopedic surgery was part of it. I'm sure I'm missing uh, one or two others. So, you know, it it depends a little bit where you're at. uh, Mm -hmm. But in general, uh, surgery departments now are made up of sort of the core specialties of surgery, including uh, cardiothoracic surgery, right? Involving the chest cavity, the heart, the lungs, vascular surgery involving all the major blood vessels. Abdominal surgery can be divided up or not divided up. In our case, it's divided up really in uh, several different divisions, but specifically we have what we call our GI or foregut division, which takes care of everything with the esophagus and the stomach. And then we have the colorectal division, which is the colon and the rectum and the anus. And then the small intestine is sort of divided up between those groups, depending on the disease process. And then we have what's called the hepatobiliary pancreas division, which takes care of the liver, gallbladder, pancreas, and those organs. A rather newer specialty, endocrine surgery exists now. And I know I'm missing, well, of course, we have surgical oncology, which is really, uh, in our case, surgical oncology encompasses everything that's not uh, in the GI tract, but involves cancer. So that would be things like melanomas breast cancer, sarcomas, which are soft tissue tumors, and the like. Mm. You know, doctor, uh, and we also have, I'm sorry, I apologize, Kevin. We also have a, the, perhaps the busiest uh, division, which is the trauma critical care and burn division, mm. which, you know, of course, is critically important for all of Orange County because we are the only level one trauma center. We're the only American Burn Association certified burn center. And we have a very, very big uh, active ICU, particularly during the pandemic. Got you. Wow. Doctor, you know, as you get older, you start to become more aware of these different systems within your own body. And I'm amazed at just the literally how the human body, you know, the, the my sh- small knowledge of it is just like, wow, this is connected to that. And then this is w- working here. I mean, is it old hat for you or are you kind of like, yeah, it's, it's amazing how it all works. Yeah. And I know it's still awe inspiring. It really is. Yeah. It's, the human body is an amazing thing. And, and it's amazing. You know, it, the really good physicians realize that the human body has great potential to heal itself. 
And we have to help facilitate it, but ultimately it's much more amazing than we could ever be. Even with our new modern medicines and our new modern techniques, it just, it really is. It still never ceases to amaze me. And it's, it really isn't awe-inspiring to me uh, to, to understand it and know, you know, how the human body works, how we have now used mRNA technology to make, you know, to, to, to trick the body into making immunity for us. I mean, that's really what it's doing. It's just, we're just telling the body to make immunity for us against this COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the first time the mRNA vaccine was described to me, it brought tears to my eyes. You were just like, oh, my God, look what the scientists have done. So it's fantastic. Well, in 2016, you became dean of the School of Medicine. In those five years, can you talk about what you're most proud of in those five years? I'd be happy to. You know, I, I, I will say, I think people that remember those days and knew me well, I understand that I, I went into this as a reluctant interim dean. It wasn't anything I aspired to, although I had some great role models with previous deans, including Tom Cesario and Ralph Clayman and Roger Steinert. I just didn't aspire to that. I was really happy and content being chair of surgery, and that I thought was the pinnacle of, of my career. Yeah. And then I was asked to step in as an interim dean, and you know, I have a hard time saying no. So I, I said yes, and and over the next eight or 10 months, I really became passionate about the opportunity, what I, you know, the influence I could have uh, and what we could do. And it was a very yeah. special time built on the foundation that those previous three deans I just mentioned uh, built for us. We were in a very good position financially and stability-wise and really a chance to reinvest in our medical school. And so that was really exciting to me because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a builder. I like to build things. You know, mm. I, I told you already in the beginning, I like to take things apart and put them back together again, metaphorically, but also literally. And so it was really a great chance. And our school was doing fantastic work, but we were too small. We needed mm. to grow. We also needed to reinvigorate our faculty with younger, more energetic faculty with long careers ahead of them. And, and so that was part of our strategic plan we developed back in 16. And we just said, we're going to rejuvenate the basic science and medical uh, school faculty. In addition, we had this grand idea of creating uh, some new schools in the College of Health Sciences, right? So the College of Health Sciences under the umbrella of the University of California, Irvine, would involve a, a new school of nursing, which actually was launched before I became dean, shortly before, and then a, a school of pharmacy and farm sci and a school of population and public health. And so uh, in the School of Medicine had a chance to contribute to those new schools. Uh, we actually gave away a couple of our departments and one of our divisions to help create those new schools. Not unlike what I told you earlier, the Department of Surgery, if you would, gave up some of their specialties to create new departments. That's part of evolution and growth. And so it was great. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that we now have great school of nursing, a great school of pharmacy and farm side, and a soon to be great school of public and population health. Right now it's a program and it's great, all under great leadership. So that was very rewarding to me, quite frankly, uh, and to have <laughs> partnerships and collaborations with those other schools. And then, you know, rebuilding the basic science uh, departments and faculty, and, and they're thriving now. So I'm very proud of that. And then investing in the infrastructure to allow future success. I think, you know, we've had a pretty good trajectory in the last five years, if you want to measure it by things like faculty growth or financial or research accomplishments or research awards, or, you know, if you would, uh, funding. And those are all great. We're, we're doing well there, but I think the trajectory will actually go even steeper in the next five years because of the investments we've made in the infrastructure and the support. Um, and then we created a center for clinical research, which I think, you know, is, is still in a uh, building phase, 
We're about three years into what I would say is a five-year startup project. And the idea there, uh, Kevin, is to make sure that cutting-edge clinical trials, which are so vital to people who have suffered from bad diseases where there may not be a great uh, outcome or a great answer, and we can offer them cutting-edge clinical trials that are going to be the new greatest thing, like mRNA vaccines, for example, right? That, that would be an example of a great clinical trial that then became a great treatment. And there are just thousands of those treatments and thousands of those clinical trials going on. We are already very uh, actively engaged in clinical trial work, and we have been for decades. But by creating the Center for Clinical Research, we actually, again, have made the infrastructure investments to allow us to really grow that much greater. And we've grown in the last three years already by more than double. uh, And we expect that to continue. We want every patient who comes in who doesn't have a great standard of care option to get them back to health, to be able to have an opportunity to participate in something that will hopefully be the solution to get them back to health. Excellent. Wow. That's really exciting. And to have been around for the last four or five years watching this just evolve, and I'm amazed and can't wait to see what's going to happen just from hearing you describe it. So that's exciting. Any thoughts on the, on the next five years? You, you talked about some of the things. Is, is anything, anything else that you want to mention? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited. You know, our medical school is doing great. We are going to be expanding our class size because of the workforce needs in California and, and, the, and the need for additional uh, physicians across the country, mm-hmm. even the world. So we'll be expanding our class size. It'll be How, what's our class size at now? About 100? Yeah. Is that right? Or 104? That's right. Okay. Uh, that's that's the MD students. We also have some MD PhD and we have some pure PhD and some master's students. But the the main core of our uh, class, uh, which is the medical students. 104. We'll be going up to 114 next year, and then we hope to get up to uh, 124, and then uh, 125 rather, and then I hope to grow it a little bit more after that. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. medical schools in general are not large. Mm -hmm. You know, a a class of 200 is a very large medical school. We don't plan Mm -hmm. to get that big, but Mm -hmm. but perhaps into the 140, 150 range over the next decade. Gotcha. But what I'm really proud of is, you know, we have mission-based programs, and, and we were the first in the California. A UC system to have a, a mission-based program for the Latino community called Prime LC, Program in Medical Education for the Latino Community. It's been around now for, I think, 14 years, tremendously successful in achieving its goal of, of, of educating and creating physicians who care about the Latino community. We started a new program three years ago called LEAD ABC, Leadership Development for African Black Caribbean Community, modeled much after our Prime LC Delighted to say that the legislature actually is now giving us funding to support that and create that into a a prime program. So we now will have a prime LC and a prime ABC. And and the nice thing is that prime ABC program will actually be done in partnerships of sort with UC Riverside. So we will be both developing a prime ABC. And since ours is already developed, we will be able to help uh, UCR in the development of their program. Oh, fantastic. Excuse me, just one more time, Dr. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. And my special guest today is UCI School of Medicine Dean Michael Stamos. Doctor, can you tell us how does the UCI Medical Center and UCI Health and the School of Medicine, how does it work? How does it all fit together? It's a mystery from the outside looking in. That's a great question. Let me just, before I move on, I do want to talk about our third mission-based program. Please. 
And that's, uh, that's the Heal I Am, integrative medicine. And, and that's supported by the great gift from uh, Susan and Henry Samuelli. And, and, and we envision that um, a cadre of students each year would be involved in that program, be, 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 if you would have a bit of a different curriculum and really focus a little more on integrative medicine. And we were just blown away by how many students wanted to be part of that. So we've actually been able to expand that. So it's a core part of what we teach and train. You know, the fact is that the majority of our patients believe in integrative medicine and, and use integrative medicine for their own health. And yet in, in our society across the country, they're often segregated. And so you're, you're, if you would, Western trained doctor is not even knowing what you're taking outside of uh, his or her domain. And that can be actually dangerous. And, and we also want to bring some rigor uh, to the scientific study of things that are being done. So we know now that acupuncture is beneficial. It's been proven in great studies done at our facility to show that it can reduce blood pressure, for example. It can relieve pain, for example. It can shorten hospital length of stay, for example. So that's our role is to take those integrative medicine ideas and practices and study them and prove that they are useful and they have value or that they don't. And so that's really exciting as well to me. And, and we have, again, a cadre of students who really believe in that and want to be trained and become practitioners in a way, but also understand it and know how to apply it for their patients. It, would that fall under like an OD type of study? I, I know there's a difference between MD and OD. Is, is that right, doctor? I think you mean DO. Uh, DO, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, so I think DOs might tend to have more interest or attraction to that. I can't really speak to, to their mm -hmm. curriculum, but not exactly. It's really, it's about whole body health, right? So, I mean, think about this. You, you uh, probably understand that exercise is good for you. What you eat is good for you. So it's really all about what you do to your body, getting good sleep. So all of that is part of integrated medicine. So it's really everything other than what we would classify as uh, traditional or, or Western medicine. Gotcha. Well, um, thank you for br bringing that up and making sure it was part of the program. How about back to the question of, you know, the, the UCI Medical Center, the UCI Health and the School of Medicine. How, how does it all fit together? That might take more than the next 10 minutes. Yeah. I'll, give you the, I'll give you the condensed version, right? The, uh, okay. the, Cliffs, the Cliffs notes, as you, as you probably recall what that means. But right. They, yeah. They, yeah. They, you mean that's not still around? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the medical center is where our, you know, we have a tripartite mission, as we call it. We really have four missions, but discover, teach, and heal is our mantra, right? So discover is, of course, the research part, and that involves the basic science research I mentioned earlier, as well as the clinical trials. The teach part is pretty obvious, right? We teach medical students, we teach PhD students, master's students, but we also teach residents and fellows. Those are graduate medical education activities. And that means after you graduate medical school, you have to have additional training before you can be a licensed and board certified physician. And so we have about 750 of those trainees at our sites uh, in, in every every year, in an average year, right? So that's a big part of what we do as well is teach and train those. And then the heal part, of course, is taking care of patients, which is, you know, first and foremost, what we do. We have uh, amazing physicians doing that. And where do they do that? They do it at that, that UCI Medical Center and its affiliated sites, which are now all over the county, of course, where our aim is to be available to the county of Orange, you know, with no more than a, a, a 10 or 15 minute uh, travel time. And, and we're getting close to uh, accomplishing that. And then, of course, when we have our new medical complex completed, 
on Jamboree. And by the way, the construction has started. You haven't been by there. It's fantastic. Yeah. Right by Jamboree and campus. It's going to be amazing. $1.4 billion, I think, is the latest uh, total price tag for a really what will be an amazing complex that will be opening partly in 2023 and then complete in 2025. So our relationship is very integral. I mean, we, you know, Chad Lefteris, our great CEO, and I are partners. In fact, we've structured ourselves so that we have a leadership group and committee that is led by the two of us with lots of input from the faculty, from the uh, C-suite, if you would, of the, of the medical center. And, you know, of course, he runs the hospital. That's his job. He's fantastic at it. I run the medical school, but the physician workforce and the, the postgraduate trainees I mentioned all report up to me. So it's complimentary. He, of course, has the nursing staff and, and every other staff under his domain. So it's a true partnership. Uh, his success is, depends on my success and vice versa. Gotcha. In the School of Medicine, are you responsible for students receiving their doctorate of medicine and then residency training? Is there more to it or is that it? Well, my responsibility is really overseeing the students, of course. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a vice dean of education, uh, Con Bonley Buckland KB, as we call her, uh, who's fantastic, who oversees that with her whole team. It's a giant team because uh, it's a rigorous process to to do that in terms of the, the medical students uh, we also, again, had the PhD students and the, and the master's students as well. And then all of the trainees, the postgraduate trainees, those are all under my domain. Dina McRae, my associate dean for graduate medical education, oversees that. She reports directly to, to KV. So that's all of our education part. And then the faculty. The faculty report up through my vice dean of clinical affairs, John Gross, and then to me. So mm-hmm. we have probably close to a thousand full-time faculty, plus a lot of volunteer faculty, probably bringing us up to close to 2,000 faculty total. And then, of course, I mentioned earlier the research part of that. That also reports up to me through my vice deans of research, uh, Daniela Boda and Jeff Abbott, uh, clinical research and basic science research, respectively. Gotcha. Are all doctors at the UCI Medical Center, are they all considered faculty or are there some that are just doctors? There's very few that are uh, staff. We Mm. do have an open staff model. So there can be physicians practicing at UCIMC who are not faculty, but that's Mm. very uncommon. If they want to interact with our residents and our students, they have to be uh, faculty. Gotcha. That's an accreditation requirement. I see. Doctor, can you explain to the audience what match day is? It's it's (laughs) one of the the loves of... uh, that it's what brought me into the medical school because I just happened to see a YouTube video of it about four or five years ago. And I've now watched probably a dozen times different match days at UCI. And I'll tell you, it's better than any TV show. I shed tears. No matter which one, it is so moving to see these young people who have worked so hard. And it's it's kind of a culmination. Can you explain it better than me, please? Well, I don't know. You just did a great job. You gave me chills because I agree with you. There are three favorite days of mine uh, throughout the academic year, right? Which is, you know, commencement, of course, that's a special day. White coat ceremony, which is a very special day where we uh, welcome our first year students coming in and we give them a white coat and and that's a symbolic uh, thing and they join our family. And then match day, which is perhaps the, the most fun and the, and, and the favorite of all. And match day is basically when and where our students find out where they're going to spend their next, I'll say, three to seven years, depending on what specialty they do, in training. Where, where do they go to get their residency or fellowship training? And it's, it's a process. It was developed 
It's a computer algorithm that, that spits out the answer. It's a national thing. National residency matching program is what it's called. And it's been around since when I was uh, a medical student. And basically during your third year, you get some experiences and decide sort of what do I want to specialize in? And then during your fourth year, you might have a chance to do some externships or sub-internships as they're called at other hospitals to see, maybe I want to move to uh, New Orleans. Maybe I want to move to Miami. And you might go there for a month. We, we welcome students like that all the time from other schools at UCI. And it's a chance to, uh, if you would try on the clothes. Um, and then you decide your match list and you put in your match list as many programs as you want to. And there's you know all sorts of data on which is the best program, but it's really about a fit, right? It's about fit. Do I fit their the personality, the culture, what they're doing, what their vision is? And then on match day, they find out. They find out where they're going to spend their next three, five to seven years, depending on their specialty. And their family is usually uh, in, uh, present with them. And uh, it's really exciting. It's And yeah, literally on stage, they're opening these envelopes to find out. So you see they're finding out in real time before our very eyes. And it, it is just so moving. I, I, I love watching them. I agree. And, and to your audience, go on YouTube and, and Google UCI Match Day and you'll get an idea of what Kevin's talking about. It's fantastic. Definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is UCI Dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Michael Stamos. We now move into the final turn of the interview and briefly talk about COVID. Doctor, I know we only have a few more minutes. Could we just talk about COVID a little bit? How is the medical center at this point? There's so much information and it's been so up and down with the surges and so forth and the vaccine. Is the UCI Medical Center full right now in in their ICU beds or where do we stand? Well, yeah, my, my, my least favorite topic, but so important. So yeah. uh, we, we are uh, at a very low level of current COVID activity, thank goodness. But we are incredibly busy as a medical center right now. We are bulging at the seams, despite the fact that we've opened new beds and expanded. But it's not all COVID patients. We have a baseline number, I think 27, I think it was this morning. Hmm. Uh, we've been hovering between 25 and 30 for the last couple of weeks. We're lucky compared to Florida and Mississippi and Louisiana and other states. And it's really because of the vaccine, quite frankly. Mm. At our own environment, you know, we are around 95% vaccinated right now across our entire workforce. Physicians and the students are higher than that. They're around 99%. So we have a pretty safe and good environment with, you know, only a small number of breakthrough cases, as you would expect, that are typically pretty mild. And the medical center, though, you know, and, and we keep track of this it's more than 90% unvaccinated patients that are coming in. So we still have a sizable percentage of unvaccinated patients in Orange County, in our vicinity, uh, that continue to to get sick, mostly from the Delta variant. Uh, So it is a big issue. It's a big risk. We'll we'll see whether school reopening has an impact on this or creates another surge. Um, uh, But in general, you know, there's a pent-up demand for healthcare services because people put off their routine healthcare over the last year and a half. And there can be some dire consequences. So my strong encouragement would be to everybody to please take care of yourself. Uh, Take care of all aspects of yourself, whole health, but most importantly, preventive health and and routine things that uh, you may have put off for the last year and a half for obvious reasons. Right. At the height of the worst surge, which I think may have been back during Christmas time, how many COVID patients were at UCI Medical Center? 
know, we were uh, above 190. I don't know that we wow. ever reached 200, but 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 close. And we had to build a hospital in the parking lot, and we, you know, we were really. Uh, I mean, as Chad, uh, our, our CEO, said, uh, we were built for this. So our team did an amazing job, and they still <laughs> are doing amazing work. But but during really the toughest of times, they just stepped up and did an amazing. And by the way, Kevin, I got to I got to blow their horn a little bit, which is please. Uh, Vizient Vizient is a, a group that. Uh, uh, looks at outcomes and and I uh, haven't seen the final numbers, but we were uh, in the top five and mostly in the top one or two for the entire country across all academic medical centers in COVID related outcomes, really meaning survival. Uh, we did an amazing job. And we did that because we had clinical trials. I mentioned earlier, we did that because we had a team that worked together and agreed on on protocols. And we had uh, great leadership from a number of people, including uh, Dr. Al Peshamin, our chair of medicine. And, and then we also had uh, an AI algorithm that was developed by a really brilliant team to help us uh, determine how to best treat an individual patient so that the 101st patient was treated based on our experience for the first 100. And our 150th was treated based on the 149 before them. And so by the time we got to, you know, uh, close to, uh, I think, over 3,000, it, it, it was a very, very valuable resource that led to amazing outcomes. Now, not, not everybody survived. So I don't want to say that everything was rosy. It wasn't. It, it's been terrible and it continues to be terrible for those people affected. But we uh, capitalized on the ability to optimize the outcomes of the patients that were quite sick. Gotcha. Is the auxiliary tent that was constructed at the height of the surgery, is that still there in case it's needed or... Not right now. It's not. No, we, 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 we took that down. I believe it was last month. I don't think it was oh. July. I'm pretty sure it was in August. We took that down. Uh, gotcha. We created the parking lot. So. so hopefully we won't need that again. I think we're confident we won't because of the degree of vaccination within Orange County. Oh, good to hear. How about in terms of uh, the teaching methods for the medical students? Is this just you know, part of the mix, they're learning on the job or you know, has COVID affected the education for medical students? Yeah, it had a big effect on the education, uh, initially a negative effect uh, in the sense that we, we were all scared back uh, last April. You know, we, we protected the students by not allowing them to be around uh, COVID patients directly. And so that had an effect. And we also went to a lot of virtual learning. You know, it turns out that we learned some good things, too. Mm-hmm. We actually learned that virtual learning can be better sometimes in certain circumstances. So we now this year we have a more normal year for our students. Of course, you know, after we learn more about COVID. We allowed the students uh, to take care of those patients and help us. We, we needed their help, quite frankly. They were a vital part of our workforce during that surge of 190 plus patients. But we also have learned that telemedicine and, and virtual learning can actually have a very valuable place even in post-pandemic world. And so I, I think we've gotten better over the course of the last year and a half, but there was no question that there was some diminishment, if you would, of the educational experience for some of our students uh, in the last 18 months. Doctor, I know you have another meeting to get to, so we'll just end it with that. Thank you so much. Please, the work that is being done by the medical school and the hospital, it's incredible and it's absolutely outstanding. And uh, it's been great to just have you take us through a tour of what's going on. So thank you so much. I've enjoyed it, Kevin, and thanks for the, the nice comments. And I will pass on your words to our team. We have an amazing team and I'm just so proud of all of them. So thank you so much. Thank you again to UCI Dean of the School of Medicine, Dr. Michael Stamos. Discover, teach, and heal is the motto of the medical school. The UCI Medical Center 
its faculty, staff, and students are a very, very special, hardworking, creative group. Dr. Stamos believes that the next five years will be even more impressive than the last five years. Wow. It will be very exciting to watch it all happen before our very eyes. Hear, hear. And now turning the page, coming up next at the top of the hour is the Ash Coomer Show, the program that showcases new and interesting people from all walks of life. Stay tuned. You've been listening to UCI Conversations, where every week we explore another corner of the land of blue and gold with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and zot, 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 everyday anteaters. You can hear an encore presentation of this show and any of my prior shows on my podcast website at www.bostonmeyer.com. Enjoy. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm your host, Kevin Bostonmeyer, wishing you a fantastic evening and week. Stay safe, wear that mask, and get that vaccine. We all need to do our part because we're all in it together. So long, everybody. Happy trails. And now here's piano man Fred Kaplan playing it out with the blues boogie-woogie of the Old South from his CD signifying.